According then to the book of Hebrews, the seventh chapter, Jesus became the high priest on our behalf and administrates this pre-existing covenant. Abraham was given the, uh, the promise that arose out of this covenant in the form of this statement that we've read before in which God said, in blessing I will bless you, I will multiply your descendants to be as numberless as the stars of the heavens and in thy seed I shall bless all the nations of the earth. And that same promise is repeated in the reference to uh, Galatians chapter 3 at following verse 25 in which the emphasis again is placed upon the seed. So what do we know? We know that the covenant that produced this promise was enacted by God before the foundations of the world. What then is needed if there is a covenant before the foundations of the world? A priesthood of course is needed and this priesthood must exist contemporaneous with the covenant. So even before the world was created and even before the first man was, was formed out of the dust of the ground, there was a covenant between God and God requiring the Lamb to be slain as the basis of the restoration of man and the reconciliation of man to God in, him, in, in the person of Christ. So Christ was and always is the high priest forever. It is why such a covenant was enacted and why Christ came in fulfillment of the requirement of that covenant, namely that the Lamb would be slain. So when that covenant, from the point where that covenant was established, which was before time began, before creation itself, Jesus was already, or rather Christ was already the mediator of that covenant. That is why he's called the high priest forever. And that's why the designation of this priestly order and Melchizedek in particular, it's why it's designated as a priesthood without, the, without mother or father, the priests of this order have no mother and father, no beginning of days or end of life, no genealogy and they're compared to like the Son of God. Now, if Jesus is the high priest forever of this order, then let's ask the questions that identify this priesthood as being without mother or father, without genealogy, without the beginning of days or the end of life, like the Son of God. Let's ask those questions. Did Jesus have mother or father? 
Did Jesus have a beginning of days or end of life? Did Jesus have a genealogy? He is the Son of God after all. Well, the key to the answer is in the statement, like the Son of God. It was Jesus himself who told us that you are born of two ways, that which is born of flesh and that which is born of spirit. That is why we should never, never know Jesus according to the flesh. If we do, He absolutely has mother and father. If we do, He absolutely has a beginning of days, an end of life. If we do know Him according to the flesh, He has two recorded genealogies, one in Matthew and one in Luke. That's if we know Him as the Son of Man. If we know Him, however, as the Son of God, He's the pre-existent Christ. He's the Word before the foundations of the world. As the Son of Man, Mary is His mother, and Joseph is assigned the role of his father. Being as was supposed is the language of Scripture. Being as was supposed the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, all the way back to being the son of Adam who was the son of God. So he would have a genealogy, he would have mother and father, and we know when he was born. He was born in the reign of Octavian, the Roman emperor, who issued the decree that all the world should be taxed. And that's what Mary was doing in Bethlehem. She went back to be enrolled in, in the roles of her ancestors in order to be taxed. Frankly, so did Joseph. And he had an end of life. He was crucified in the reign of the Roman Emperor Tiberius. So if we know him according to the flesh, he has a mother and a father, he has a beginning of days and an end of life, he has a genealogy. But if we know him as part of this eternal priesthood, of the sons of God, and more to the point, as the high priest of this order, he exists before time and is as the Son of God without mother and father of human origin, without human genealogy, without beginning of days or the end of life. He's from above. So is this order, so is this priesthood. This order and this priesthood appear in the earth early. They appear in the form first of Adam who was the Son of God. He was the first priest of this order and title holder of the high priest. Melchizedek is the son of Shem, or rather Melchizedek is Shem, the son of Noah. Noah was the priest of this order 
of royal priests in the days before the flood. And the son of Noah who inherited that priesthood was Shem. Shem lived because you see this is not speculation, there is a covenant in place, it is the basis on which the creation was established, that's why there was a promise for its redemption, the lamb was slain from the foundations of the world. These are the elements of this covenant that exists, it exists between God and God. That's why when Jesus would cry out, if it's possible for this cup to pass from me, it could not pass because he was the high priest of an order that existed from before the worlds were created and as the high priest of this order, he didn't offer a sacrifice according to according to the book of Hebrews chapter 8, he wouldn't offer a sacrifice, he would be the sacrifice. That's why the Lamb was slain from the foundations of the world, trying to explain the existence of a covenant and the requirements of the priesthood of this covenant. You can't have a priesthood if you don't have a covenant and you do have a covenant, therefore this priesthood is designated to produce heirs of God, sons of God. That's why the first, the first Adam and therefore the first man was called the son of God, it's what qualified him to serve as the first priest of this order. Once the order was established, it was not revoked, there was a point at which it continued on but there was another covenant that served a shorter term value that was also brought forth in conjunction with a promise to fulfill this order of royal priests. So there were two covenants that were moving together, one was in the background and on top of that was overlaid another covenant, the purpose of which was never to be superior to the covenant but it was a pendant covenant to fulfill that prior covenant. So the order of Melchizedek was never suspended, the law was given until, because of transgression until the seed should come. When do you suppose God's covenant with Himself would be either abrogated or nullified? even human covenants, duly established and ratified, could not be nullified. That's what the book of Galatians is saying. So the law, 430 years later, does not annul the promise nor does it set aside the covenant previously established by God. This is a major theological shift. We have to shift our mindsets from the idea of dispensationalism that somehow in the time of the patriarchs there was one uh, arrangement with God that was abrogated, stopped and then uh, when a new dispensation, the law came 
and with it Moses and the Levitical order, then, then in due course Christ came and this law ended and something else began. No, that's not accurate. Any covenant properly established cannot be unilaterally nullified. That's what Galatians 3 tells us. Even human covenants cannot be unilaterally uh, set aside, let alone a covenant enacted between God and God. When is that going to be abrogated? When is that going to be modified? When is that going to be annulled? Never. So while the covenant of circumcision was also running, the covenant of royal priests to produce sons of God was running in the background. It wasn't suspended, it continued on and I'll show you in a moment. Now, here is, an, here is a fascinating scripture. This is from Genesis 28-22 and here it says, Jacob, verse 18 of Genesis 28, Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar. This is when Jacob is running from Esau and going to the house of Laban. So Jacob stops in the plains of Luz or in place near the city of Luz at a place called Bethel. Beth is house, El is God. He named the place Bethel because that's where he saw this ladder stretching from earth to heaven. And because he was on the plains and heaven he viewed as the house of God, he called the place Bethel because there he met God. But in truth he was prophetically he was prophetically declaring Christ, for God is in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God is in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. So Christ is the house of God. The body of Christ is where God and man meet. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's why Jesus said to Nathanael in the early part of the book of John, when Nathanael said, you must be the Christ. And Jesus said to him, well, because I told you I saw you under the fig tree, you've declared I'm the Christ, there's more in store for you. Behold, you will see heaven open and angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, upon me. I am the bridge, I am the door, I am the house, I am the dwelling place of God. This is where God and man meet, not in heaven. Heaven is not the house of God, Christ is. 
God and man first meet in Christ on the earth. Right? That's what I went and explained the prophetic word, but let's, let's continue. So, Jacob has this dream in Bethel. Verse 18 of Genesis 28, Then Jacob rose early in the morning, took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, poured oil on top of it, and he called the name of the place Bethel, the house of God. But the name of that city has been previous, uh, has been Luz, L-U-Z, or light, previously. Then, then Jacob made a vow, this is the part I want you to focus on now, then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going, he's running from his brother going to the house of his uncle, if God will keep me in the way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothes to put on so that I shall come back to my father's house in peace, if God will do that for me, then two things I will do. I'll declare the Lord is my God. This stone, three things rather, number one, the Lord is my God, this stone I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house, Bethel, which has a dramatic history, that location in Israel, Bethel, shall be God's house. Here's the third thing, and of all that you give me, I will surely give you a tenth. I'll give you the tithe. Now this is Jacob. This is before they go down into Egypt, spend 430 years in Egypt, come back out of Egypt and come to Mount Sinai. Jacob is 300 years ahead of Moses. No temple, no law, and yet he says, of all that you give me, I'll give you a tenth. So here's what, here's the takeaway. Why did Abraham, <clears throat> why did Abraham give Melchizedek Shem? Why did Abraham give Shem, who was the high priest, the son of Noah, who lived for 500 years? When Noah died, his oldest son, Shem, became that priest to succeed, Abra- to succeed Noah following the flood, because there is an existing order of priests. And he's alive all the way up to Abraham. If you live 500 years, do the math in the Old Testament, what you will come up with is Shem is still alive in the days of Abraham. He got out of the ark, he restored the order of royal priests, Melchizedek is the title, 
and he carries it to be handed off to his successor. And one of his crowning acts is to bless the one who has received the promise through whom the heir would come. Do you suppose that God would have left that promise unconfirmed or just have it be confirmed by some Bedouin? Someone without a standing before God? Or do we not understand the importance of Christ and the necessity of the confirmation of the promise? God had made the promise to Abraham and now Melchizedek is the confirmer, if I can use that as a word, of that promise, the two bearing witness in heaven and on earth. That's how he becomes the confirmed heir and the one who confirms is the reigning high priest at the time. (coughs) Pardon me. And Abraham will succeed Shem as the high priest of this order of royal priests. King of righteousness, Sar Shalom. Royal means king, priest is of the order of God, righteous priests who are the administrators of this covenant to produce sons of God. You have that covenant running in the background the whole time because it cannot be abrogated, it cannot be annulled and it continues to move forward and here we have first, uh, we, we know of at least three of these priests so far, Adam was one, Shem, uh, Noah was two, Shem the son of Noah was three and when Shem would pass the high priest would become Abraham, number four. Now Abraham had two sons, they were Isaac and Jacob. Uh, I'm sorry, Abraham would have two sons, Uh, they would be Isaac and Ishmael, I'm sorry, Ishmael, Isaac and Ishmael. Why could not Ishmael succeed as the high priest even though he was the firstborn of Abraham? Well, because Ishmael had had an impediment, he had an impediment, he was a slave. If your mother is a slave, then you are a slave upon birth. While you're still in the womb, you're a slave. You must be a free man to be the inheritor, to be a son. You cannot be a slave and be treated as a son. Read the book of Galatians chapter 4 who will tell us about the two women, one from Mount Sinai that produced children who are to be slaves and the other who receives a child by promise. I don't have time to get into that. Now, what am I saying here? I'm saying that Ishmael couldn't be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek though he was the firstborn of Abraham. Isaac became the firstborn of Abraham according to the promise, that's why the scriptures use the terms according to the promise. 
The promise is what sets Israel apart uh, at this point in time, what sets the Hebrews apart from all the nations around them at this point. They were carrying the promise and they would carry the promise until the seed should come. After that, the seed opens the promise to every tribe, tongue, language and nation by bringing them into His person. So the Jews have no special relationship to God after Christ because He is the doorway to the Father because He is the final beneficial recipient of the promise. So the, the foolishness you hear that men like John Hagee preach about God having a special covenantal relationship with Israel, that's simply mind-numbing foolishness, inconsistent with the Scriptures, apostate. No, God does not have a separate covenant with Israel. The covenant with, was, was not with Israel, the covenant was with Abraham to produce the beneficial heir of all God had promised, he's the same one who laid down his life as the lamb before the foundations of the world. So all of the promises attenuate to Christ and whoever is in Christ is now the seed of Abraham. That's Galatians. So these these marketers and hucksters who see an opportunity to benefit by, by convincing foolish Americans that if they give money to Israel they are supporting the promise to Abraham and and therefore likely to be blessed by God, all of that is just money-raising propaganda. It has nothing to do with the Scriptures. It is not true. This is false. This is false. What is true is that Christ is the compendium, He's the beneficial heir of all that God promised to Abraham. The covenant God had with Israel was a covenant of circumcision. The picture being the holy seed will not be touched by the flesh, but the covenant running in the background of all of that was still the covenant to produce a royal priesthood and a holy nation, covenant to produce the sons of God. That's why God considered Esau a profane person. He didn't just reject the rights of the firstborn to having more sheep, more land, more cattle. No, that's not what He rejected. He rejected the right to be the high priest when his father Isaac died because he was the firstborn son. Jacob on the other hand, who now makes the commitment to bring the tithe to God, is the one who bargained for the right to be the high priest in the order or to be the priest in the order of Melchizedek. That's why God loved Jacob because Jacob loved the things of God. Jacob was not by any means flawless, he had massive faults including manipulating at every turn, but he loved what God loved, 
he had as much understanding of it as anybody, and in place of his brother who spurned and had contempt for the office of this priestly order, he loved and bargained for this priestly order, so he became the high priest as Israel would go down into exile in Egypt. When we come back, I want to talk, I want to pick up on the continuation of this priesthood and showing you how the tithe belongs in this order. It's where it originated. And we'll look at that further. I'm Sam Solon. We'll continue then. Bye-bye.